Good morning, everyone. Pray that you are well. I want to welcome you again uh, today. Thank you for being here. And for those of you who are watching online, so grateful that you are here. Uh, before I begin, I do want to make a few acknowledgments. Um, one, uh, today is actually Pentecost Sunday. So 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus uh, that are celebrated when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity came and filled believers as they were gathered in the upper room. So uh, in Jerusalem, there were about 120 of them. Uh, so men and women filled with the Spirit of God. So we celebrate that as Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8 that you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So uh, that's important in the lives of every believer in order to be a witness of Christ and his goodness. We need the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And so <clears throat> I want to acknowledge that. And of course, tomorrow is Memorial Day and we do recognize those men and women who have given their lives in service for our country. Yes, amen. And I think even though uh, there might be times we may not agree with every decision our administration might make, we can still honor the men and women who wear the uniform and put themselves in harm's way for our safety. So thank you to those of you in here who have served and, or continue to serve. Uh, and we remember those who have lost their lives. Also, if you've noticed that nice big trash bin out there, um, uh, evidence of our spring cleaning yesterday, which was a, a, a great time. <laughs> so thank you for those of you who could make it. Uh, for those of you who couldn't, uh, there will be space to, to confess and um, just, uh, the altar will be open afterwards. I'm just, just playing. But <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a very good time and yeah, so I want to acknowledge uh, John Barclay who will really... I know he's working right now, but I mean, he really kept us on task and, and, and orchestrated, excuse me, orchestrated the whole thing. So thank you to him and then everybody else who came and just worked and you may or may not see a difference. You know, there's a lot of things in storage that we just got rid of and uh, I'm sure it won't be the last time, but yes, we do want to care for our church. So with that being said, hey, you see a piece of trash, you see something that's off, all you got to do is pick it up. Okay, let's care for this wonderful building that we are, are graciously allowed to worship in, at least while we can continue to worship openly. Okay, amen. And then the follow acknowledgement, you know, <clears throat> with everything that I do, um, I'm always thankful for my, my wonderful wife who's just always supports me and is always in my corner. And, you know, tomorrow we're celebrating 19 years, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Kind of like, where did the time go? And other times it's like, wow, we've got so far to go. And it, I love the fact that I can look around the room and see others who are at 30 and 40 years and still loving each other, still committed to each other. And so pray that we can be that and, and that God will uh, allow us to continue to grow together deeper in Christ. So I'm thankful for her this morning. <clears throat> so we are continuing, of course, our sermon series being rooted and grounded. And the, the purpose of this series is to strengthen our understanding of who we are in Christ and what we are called to do. So you might remember the first week, Pastor Ray 
um, who talked about, you know, all the different ideas and truths out there and why we need to be founded on the scriptures, right? The one thing that is constant, and, and Pastor Lori uh, spoke last week where she, she preached from Luke chapter 8, talking about the parable of the, the sower, the seed and the sower, but actually about the soil and in that sense of being rooted and grounded, how the Word of God needs to be grounded in us, the soil, and we can have hardened soil or we can have soft soil. And she also mentioned that that soil can change. So you could be hard today, but we can allow the Spirit of God to get up in there and break that stuff up so that God's truth can rest inside of us and then grow. That's right. And so today I'll be focusing on that rooted and grounded in the sense of, well, what's our foundation? You know, so she talked about us being the soil, but in this sense, what are we rooted in? What are we connected to? What are we founded upon? We were asking the question, so what source are we connected to? What foundation are we standing on? Where do we get our nourishment, our strength? What's our go-to? What do we lean on? Good times, hard times, all of that. What is foundational? What makes us tick? And I think this impacts a couple areas of our lives, key areas uh, that I love, identity and purpose. And you know, you hear that throughout, identity and purpose. When we talk about what we're rooted in and grounded in, it does impact those key areas. And I, I love this series and the one before, uh, Back to the Basics, and, and the reason why we're doing these series is I think there is a need to get back to the foundation. Why do we do what we do? Who are we? How do we identify who we are What's our basis? And so we need to remember that. So identity and purpose. Who am I and why am I here? This is something that is key in our culture. Everything is driven by this. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And, and we see people in our culture, and maybe we struggle with this, um, the temptation to pursue these things, identity and purpose, through illegitimate means. And this, of course, has led to all kinds of dysfunction. There's a temptation to look within, to define my own reality. In the sense, there's nothing outside of me. There's nothing apart from me. That's exactly where our culture is. You know, I'm reflecting on this um, interview that I listened to. It's years old, but the actor Will Smith was uh, being interviewed and I think it had something to do with, with his beliefs and his philosophies and so on. But there was an, a statement he made that intrigued me, and I think this is exactly where our culture is. He said, well, you know, two plus two equals four, right? Well, two plus two equals four if you accept it as that. Two plus two is going to be whatever I want it to be. Now sit with that for a moment. <laughs> But that's exactly where our culture is. Two plus two will be whatever I want it to be. In other words, I will define my reality. And that shows up in a number of ways. And that question of, well, do we revolve around God or does God revolve around us? And I'll be talking about this more next week, so I do apologize today if I don't get too deep into application because I'm kind of building this today and then we'll continue this next week. So 
next week will probably be much more specific to us and kind of do's and all of that. But uh, today, really, we'll be focusing on this concept of identity and purpose, but looking at Jesus. So I'm reminded of this text, John 8, 14, where Jesus is responding to the Pharisees, and he says to them, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. When you think about identity and purpose, I love that where Jesus is the rock. In other words, he is solid. He's unmoving. I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Now, when it comes to identity and purpose, we tend to struggle here for different reasons. Okay. You know, even just me personally, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, and minister, all of these different areas where there can be struggles. Who am I? How do I understand myself? What am I basing those realities on? And so this is why it's important to look at the rock that doesn't move. And that's why I'm going to focus on Jesus today, where he's steady and he says, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Jesus didn't have identity crises. He, he, he didn't struggle with that. He knew exactly what, what, what he was about. He, he was not in a process of self-discovery like we tend to do, you know, our culture. You know, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror for hours and somehow come to the, the mystery of who I am. But rather, it's a truth that is beyond me, that is outside of me. So we look to Jesus as our example. So as we focus on Jesus' own identity and purpose, remember he is fully God and yet he's fully human, right? He is God, the word made flesh, um, but as a man, he, he must submit to God. So I think Jesus also serves as our example. We see this throughout scripture of following Jesus means doing what he did. So how does Jesus understand those key things, his identity, his purpose? What is he looking to? What is he rooted in? I think Jesus demonstrates for us exactly what it means to be rooted and grounded. But be cautious of what we're rooted and grounded in. As Mickey mentioned, we could be growing lopsided or not growing at all if we've got the wrong foundation. I'll talk more about that next week. So I want to look at John chapter 5. Starting at John chapter 5. Excuse me, mouth is dry already. John chapter 5, verses 16 uh, through 30. All right, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most surely I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. And come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. This is the word of God. You know, one thing I love about the Apostle John who's writing here um, is that he really gets at this hard and you see this language throughout um, as Jesus talks about the Father and his relationship to the Father. Um, and, you know, it's so hard to pick and choose what, <laughs> what to read from this because John is so rich with these kinds of of phrases, uh, but you, you learn more of Jesus talking about the Father's in me, I am in the Father. Just this beautiful relationship. And, and John is, is, is interested in the identity of Jesus, right? Um, yes, we, we talk about the miracles, but he gets at the identity. I need you to know from the beginning was the word, right? That's where he starts. And so we look at Jesus who understands completely who he is, uh, but we look at what he practices. Now, a little bit about this story, of course. You know, this is the story of the, where Jesus is, uh, heals a guy who's been sick for about 38 years, uh, laying at the pool of Bethesda. You may have heard that. Um, and he tells him to take up his bed and walk. He actually asks him, hey, do you want to be made well? You've been there 38 years. Um, and Jesus heals him. And he takes up his bed and walks. The problem is, you know, Jesus always gets into trouble because he does these things on the Sabbath, right? That is the day of rest. So a little bit about that because, you know, the Jewish leaders, obviously they get up in arms. They're frustrated by this. And let me just kind of give them a little grace because, you know, they're really wanting to honor God's command, right? That is really their heart, you know. I remember having this... Um, um, excuse me, uh, in my Greek exegesis class, uh, when I was in seminary, um, uh, my, my seminary professor, he brought this out uh, about how actually we, we kind of give the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders a bad rap, but they really wanted to do their best. They were misguided in many ways, but they were really trying to honor God. You see, in, in Exodus 31, God makes it very clear the Sabbath, they are not to work, they are to rest. This is patterned after creation. Six days of creation, the seventh day God rests. Doesn't mean God was tired, God just ceased from working because the work was complete. 
God says it is good. And so God says to the children of Israel, because of that, and I am your God, you are my people, you are to rest on the Sabbath. You are to do no work, okay? Now they see this brother who was lame or whatever, sick, carrying his bed. Now in their minds, he's working, right? So, so, but there's a spirit behind this that God is getting at, you know, is a heart that God is saying, because I am your Lord, I am your source, right? I am the one who provides for you. So for the person who decides, well, you know what, I want to get ahead on this week, so I'm going to do a little extra work because I'm a little behind, that, is a, that person, that man is turning from God's way to his own. Well, God is saying, turn from your idea, your way, your mission of what you want to do, and follow mine and rest. Now, it doesn't mean there weren't exceptions, <laughs> like Jesus healing somebody. And Jesus challenged the Jewish leaders when they would get up in arms. He says this, well, who of you, if your animal, your beast falls into a ditch, it stumbles, who of you aren't, aren't going to work to get it out, right? He said, there's an exception here <laughs> where you're not doing your own thing. There's a situation we need to take care of. So the Sabbath was as much about a heart issue, right, in terms of how you're viewing God and your relationship to God and to work. So that's what's going on here. The problem with the Jewish leaders is they wanted to honor God, but they, they started building extra regulations around it to kind of, as a buffer around God's law, so we really don't want to break it. So let's add some extra layers around it, extra layers of protection, if you will, so we don't touch it. And it was putting a lot of undue pressure on people, burdens. So that's what Jesus is breaking up. So that's what's happening here. But of course, he's getting in trouble because healing this man. But I love Jesus' response because now we get into identity and purpose. He immediately identifies himself with the Father. They have a problem with that <laughs> um, because you're making yourself equal with God. Well, we understand Jesus is God in flesh, and we see now the triune Godhead. We see Jesus submitting to the Father and how they're working together. But I want you to see uh, how Jesus is basking in his identity, where he comes from, and that is what drives him in his ministry. I mean, throughout John and in the other gospels, but John more so, you see this time and time again. For one, he identifies with the Father. Two, he connects his work. I can do nothing of myself. Verse 19, Jesus said, most surely I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. This sounds like Jesus is rooted in something other than himself. That's what we're talking about, being grounded, rooted in, some, in, in the truth of God that is outside of me, is not dependent on me, is not built on me something that is constant, and even Jesus being the Son of God, he submits himself. And I think he's showing us, this is how you are to do. He is utterly dependent on the Father. So for one, he recognizes, I can do nothing of myself. But what he sees the Father do, which means Jesus is constantly looking to the Father. 
One thing that's key about this and being rooted and grounded, it's not a one-time thing, which is why it's important we preach this series because, you know, some of you may know this, but there may be some of you who've never heard sermons like this before, maybe never grew up with some of this teaching. So it's important that we talk about this because it's not always common. It's foundational, but this isn't always common. So there's a need for us to press even deeper into this. Who are you? What is your foundation? Well, I think we see Jesus. He's constantly looking at the Father, which means he is actively pursuing God's will. And that's a note to us. We can't grow in God's will that we're not looking at, we're not seeking after, right? We're not searching after. So I want you to get this rootedness and groundedness. It's not a one-time thing. This is our Christian life. It's our Christian life. It's what we constantly do. I'll talk more about this next week, but even think about our examples, whether it's a sport or something you're learning to do, what are you doing? You're constantly doing it creating muscle memory, you're putting in your mind, this is how I need to do, this is how I need to respond. It's the same with God's word. You have to keep coming back to it time and time again. It doesn't get old. Now, some of, some of us, and I, you know, I will apologize to you, I might be, might be repetitive today to the point of redundancy, but I think it's important that we get this because that foundation doesn't change. We keep going back to that. So if I could just summarize this point Jesus is making, this whole passage, Jesus is just the Father, 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 the Father, the Father, the Father, and the Father, the Father, and the Father, and the Father. You get it, and the Father. <laughs> he keeps looking at him, and he imitates him. I see what you do, and that's what I'm going to do. I think a real world example is, you know, I think about growing up and well, at least my kids growing up and um, I didn't tell her I was going to say this, but my daughter, Kayla, my oldest, you know, when she was younger, <laughs> um, I had this example in my mind, but when she was younger, I remember a time of her just imitating me. Um, I had a drumstick and I was just kind of twirling it, whatever, doing whatever. And then I saw her holding one with her little, little chunky arms and little chunky cheeks, you know, she was, she could have could have been maybe two or something like that. And she, had, she grabbed a stick and she was just, she didn't know what she was doing, but she was just trying to do what she saw her daddy doing. And I hear that echoed in what Jesus is saying. I'm just doing what I see my daddy doing. I keep looking at him. A few more things from this passage. I love this. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son. Back to that identity, that sense of security, who I am and what I'm resting in. I know that I'm loved, secure, don't need to prove myself. Father loves the Son and shows him all the things. The Father's letting me in. This in on what he's doing, this relationship that's so beautiful. I'll keep going, verse 21, as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. I'm just imitating 
The Father judges no one. He's given judgment to the Son. That all, get this, should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. How you treat me is how you treat the Father. How you respond to my words, that's how you're responding to the Father. This interconnectedness that cannot be divided, it cannot be separated. I say to you, this is verse 23, excuse me, 24. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Our coming now is where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. I told you I'd be repetitive today, but are you getting the picture of what Jesus is doing throughout his ministry? And as I mentioned before, he's not going through an identity crisis. Even in his younger years when he was 12, and we don't know, scripture doesn't record much about his younger years, but we do know at age 12 when he was in the temple um, and his parents left and they're traveling back to Galilee and they realized Jesus was not with them. And they're like searching among their family because people, they had to travel together, the roads are dangerous. And they found him in the temple at age 12 teaching. <laughs> and, his, and the leaders were just dumbfounded by his wisdom. And they show up, Jesus, like, what are you doing? Like, we're, we've been searching for you. And I think it had been like a couple days. And he's like, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He knows who he is. And he's secure in that. Talk more about this next week. We're secure in who we are in him. All right, I'll keep moving. And the final thing we talked about, resurrection of life, that he's calling those who are in the graves. And he says it again, I can of myself do nothing. I love this statement, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Get this, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. We're not going to imitate, we're not going to look at someone we're not captivated by or convinced by. For us, if we're not convinced by Jesus, who he is, we're just simply not gonna look to him, at least in this way. And I think it's important for us to get that because there are lots of people calling on the name Jesus. Lots of people are using his name, but, but how are they, is he really their foundation? And y'all hear me talk about this all the time, you know, the, who Jesus is. He's not just some good teacher. He's not just somebody that has good sayings. We're called to build our life on him. The rock that doesn't move. So I will ask you this morning, is that your posture toward Jesus? Is that where you find your identity? 
And I understand, uh, I thank God for our families, you know, and growing up, and I understand some of us in our families, what our families are supposed to be, what our parents are supposed to be, um, are, are examples that push us toward God. They, they should be a small example of what God's love looks like. And I understand in our families, our families don't always live that out. Right, and some of us here are, are struggling with that, angered by that, hurt by that, traumatized by what my family was, what my dad was like, what my mom was like, and so on. And so there's still hope in this that even if though, though your family may have failed you, this is why we point to the rock that doesn't move. And that's, that's one thing I loved about my parents and the way they raised my brothers and I. They were like, hey, we need to introduce you to the one who created you. Come on here. So my parents named me, all of those things, and cared for me, but they made it very clear, we're not ultimate. We're not your ultimate source. We're stewards to introduce you to the one who made you. And that's where Jesus challenges people's views of family and even where he says, listen, if you're not willing to hate your mother, father, sister, brother for me, well, what he's saying is your devotion to me should be so ultimate, so paramount that it looks like you hate your family. It just means, no, you're that devoted to me. That's challenging, but that's what the king says. So Jesus is rooted in the Father. This is where he finds his identity and purpose. I want to draw our attention uh, to one more passage uh, because as I mentioned, this is something that is active, that we are actively pursuing. And there are times when there is opposition to that truth. Luke chapter four, verses one through 13. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. In those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune 
time. So Jesus is facing some opposition where Satan comes to him, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, and gives him another perspective. Here's another way to look at things. But more importantly, Jesus, I want you to prove yourself to me. How many of you know, <laughs> you need to understand the source, who's talking? Who is talking? Because some of us, our lives are built on this, where we are trying to prove ourselves to illegitimate sources. Illegitimate sources, you're working to get their approval. And you shouldn't pay them any attention. Lucifer, Satan, the devil, an unemployed angel who got kicked out, shows up to Jesus with proposals. And, and, and mind you, uh, you know, Jesus is being tempted all 40 days, right? And maybe this is more of a summary, but this is kind of what's happening. Um, for one, because he's human, he is hungry. It's been 40 days, right? Jesus has a real physical need. What Satan is trying to do, hey, I want you to prove yourself, meet your physical need because I know you're hungry, but get this, I want you to do it at my command. So. I don't want us to glaze over this fact because it's very key, because this is the same thing Satan did in the garden. It's the question of whose voice are you gonna to listen to? He's trying to do the same thing to Jesus. You have a real physical need. Just use your power, but I want you to do it because I said it. You know, to whom, whom you obey, that becomes your master. Satan is trying to play the same game. That's what happened to us in the fall when we listened to the voice of the serpent. And now here's where we are and sin and death and all that stuff. That's why. He's trying to do the same thing. Look at Jesus' response. He's hungry. But hey, people, our food, physical sustenance, material things, that's not all that we're made of. That's not the only thing that matters for us. There's a spiritual reality to us that needs every word of God. That's his response. He goes back to, this is Jesus actively being rooted. No, let me go back to my source. Food isn't my source. It's important. It's not my source. God is my source. That's what I'm looking to. He actively goes back to that. Okay. All right, Jesus. The devil takes him up on a high mountain, shows him the glory of all the, the kingdoms. Now, mind you, Satan is a, is a supernatural being, so when it says that Satan is carrying him or taking him, puts him on the pinnacle of a mountain, takes him uh, on the pinnacle of the temple, that's what's happening in the text. He is physically taking Jesus, okay? It's a very supernatural thing that's happening, okay? And he's supernaturally showing him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I don't know what this looks like, you know, but it happened. And Satan is just saying, hey, all of this will be yours if you bow down and worship me. And get this, 
it was given to me. Well, we know how the kingdoms of the world were given to Satan. That's, right. That's in the garden, the fall. Remember, God gave humanity dominion over the earth. Well, that's what they gave up when they submitted to Satan. But there's something Jesus knows that goes beyond this point. Because when we look at the end of the book in Revelation, we, we get this beautiful truth that now the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. So Jesus knows the work that he's going to do. He is going to redeem all of the kingdoms back to God. So Jesus doesn't need to do that through illegitimate means. The only way he's going to get that is according to the Father's will, which means he's going to go through the cross. Satan is trying to bring a little shortcut. All you got to do is bow before me. And we can think about that in, in, in being tempted to, to, whether it's fame or glory or wealth, whatever, through illegitimate means, through selling out, through compromising my faith just to get ahead a little bit. It's okay, I'll repent later. Jesus responds this way because he's rooted. He's grounded. And mind you, every answer he gives, he's quoting scripture. He's quoting scripture. This is coming from Deuteronomy. He keeps going back to the scriptures every time. That should give us a clue as to what Jesus felt about scripture. And if we're going to imitate him, that's why we preach. We got to come back to the scriptures because that's what Jesus went back to. Of how God spoke through Moses and the prophets, that's what he's leaning on. You will only worship God. And then, of course, the final statement here where he brings him to the pinnacle of the temple. Jesus, prove that you're the son of God by throwing yourself down. In other words, make God prove himself to you. Show, because you're the son of God, there, there's some sense of entitlement that you have. You, you should claim this. Make God show up for you, right? We can be tempted to do that too. But may God show up for you. Because I'm entitled. I've been faithful. So God needs to do this for me. I'm in church every Sunday and I faithfully give. So why doesn't God give me this or do this for me? Jesus still, yet again, doesn't take the bait. Oh, yeah, side note, Satan will come with scripture too. The devil knows scripture more than the rest of us in here. And he uses scripture on Jesus. He quotes from a Psalm of David, Psalm 91, where he says he shall give his angels charge over you. They'll bear you up. God promised he'd do it. Well, just make God, make God live up to his promise. That's all you got to do. Jesus responds with scripture from Deuteronomy, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Or it says, you shall not put God to the test. 
he's so devoted and so rooted that even though he's physically hungry, he can't give in because he's rooted to what God has said. Even though Jesus knows he's going to reclaim the kingdoms of the world, he's not going to do it through illegitimate means. He's rooted. As I mentioned, we're tempted to to, to look to illegitimate sources to prove ourselves. We're tempted to let our physical material needs overrule our commitment to God. We are tempted to gain power, fame, and wealth, as I mentioned, through illegitimate means. We're tempted to think God owes us. I mentioned that entitlement. God needs to prove his love for me. And Jesus yet passes every test. He doesn't let anyone define who he is except the Father. And you remember that when he asks his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? Elijah, John the Baptist, some prophet. Jesus doesn't lean on any of those things. But when Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, stop right there. That statement doesn't come from humans. My father revealed that to you. That's the only thing Jesus latches onto. The, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they seek to insult Jesus and they call him a friend of sinners because he's eating with sinners. Jesus corrects that. No, I'm a, he's the savior of sinners. He says to them, look, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the well. He doesn't let them define him. Only the father will define him. He gets his orders from the father. Only the father moves him and makes him tick. Are you getting the point this morning? Cece, you can come on up. I'm gonna wrap up. Are we getting the point this morning of looking at Jesus as our example? Because next week I'm gonna go in a little bit more specifically about how we live this out. But he's our example, people. And he's rooted. He knows who he is and he knows his purpose. And if you're here today struggling with that, I do wanna pray for you because it's important that we get rooted in Christ in the rock that doesn't move. Some of you in here are being tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, every problem that comes up. Pastor Lori talked about this last week. Storms that blow, you're over here this week, you're over there next week. It's time to get founded in something that's outside of us. Or we can be like Will Smith, that quote that I gave that I am the one, I'm the foundation that decides what reality is. Well, I have a question. Well, what happens when you, as you're built on you, well, what happens when you're depressed and full of anxiety and worry? What happens when you fail? Who's gonna save you then, if that is your foundation? I'm reminded of, a, of another artist where she talked about that she was dealing with addiction and all kinds of challenges and um, anxiety and, and, and she was just really broken. But then her solution was, 
that she had to reach deeper into herself in order to make herself happy. Now, do we really think that works? <laughs> I mean, can I reach deeper into my broken, sinful self and heal myself? What happens when my own thoughts and my own heart condemns me? Who's going to save me? Lord, I thank you so much for your people today. I thank you, Lord, that you are the rock that we stand on. That we are to be rooted and grounded in you and your love and who you are. That our identity comes from you. Our orders come from you. Lord, we move where you say move and we move as you move. Thank you, Jesus, for being our example. And I pray for people today who are at the place where they're struggling, whether it's their identity or their sense of purpose and who I'm supposed to be. Lord, may they find that in you because you don't change. And Lord, you told us that even though we might deal with tribulations and trials, there might be times that we have those struggles with who we are, but you're the rock that keeps us grounded so we don't fall, so we don't lose heart. You didn't say that the winds wouldn't blow, but you are certainly our anchor. So I pray for your people this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord God, that we be a people that's rooted in you, but that we actively seek your help, actively seek your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.